Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us on our various platforms. Thank you for joining us on our shortwave service uh, that uh, covers a lot of uh, our areas in the SADC region and also in East Africa. Thank you also if you're listening to us in South Africa and those who have access uh, to our uh, DSTV audio bouquet channel, which is channel 802 on the audio bouquet. And if you're listening to us on our website, thank you for streaming us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, we don't have a show tomorrow so we thought we'll bring this uh, particular topic back today and uh, this is because tomorrow is uh, International Women's Day it will be acknowledged all over the world it aims to promote a woman's rights and uh, today we are partnering up with uh, one uh, the International Campaigning and Advocacy Organization which has aligned itself to up to 40 activists from 11 African countries who have written an open letter to world leaders to address issues around gender inequalities, especially issues that have to deal with some of uh, the gender issues that we're seeing on uh, the African continent. Now, today we're going to be speaking to various activists from parts of the continent to really speak on issues of gender equity, access to education, health rights when it comes to women on the African continent. Well, in our studio, we're joined by one Africa Executive Director, Arudo Kwaramba Kayombo, and also we have Melin Rousseau, who is joining us in studio. She is uh, one of uh, the activists in South Africa and she's a South African attorney who's founded the Women Lead uh, Movement which is aimed to educate, empower and inspire women to lead the social change in their communities. But let me start with the director of One. Ruda, thanks for coming to our studio. It's great to have you here. Tell us a little bit about the campaign this year and why you thought of actually pioneering this idea of bringing all these women together to actually speak on issues with one voice. Thank you so much for having me. Um, as one campaign, we're a campaigning and advocacy organization. But one campaign here in Africa is really desirous of making sure that the voice of African active on the world stage. Yeah. So since International Women's Day is an international holiday, we thought it's an international day marking uh, and focusing on the issues affecting women, who better to speak on these issues than the people who are at the call face, mm. the activists mm. who are doing work to strengthen the voices of women so that they are speaking on behalf of the constituency they are representing and that mm. they are rallying around and who have real experiences of the marginalization that women across Africa and across the world mm. over continue to experience. One campaign wants to strengthen the voice of African people with real mm. experiences and with real mm. um, 
possibilities of mm. making a change to the marginalization of women across Africa mm. and across the world. We wanted to make sure that their voices are heard mm. and that they represent many women whose stories they can tell, whose experiences they can recount, and who better to speak than those who are at the call face, who are activating the response to the unnecessary uh, subjugation of women mm that they continue to experience on all fronts, whether it's economic or education mm. or health or legal mm. or political participation. Mm. The activists who have come together with one campaign to author this open letter are acting across the spectrum of issues that continue to affect mm. women. And we thought their voices need to be heard, this International Women's Day. Now tell us a little bit about the content of, of the letter itself, Rudo. Tell us a little bit about what it's actually saying, because the listener is probably out of the loop here because I've read it and probably you know the contents of it but let's let the um, listener understand what kind of issues are being addressed in this particular letter and uh, who should be reading it. Well the key message in the open letter is this that while we have made commitments to advance the situation and the experiences of women across the world in SDG, the Sustainable Development Goal number five, mm. we are way behind. And at the pace that we are proceeding, it will take us another 108 years wow. to actually make sure that women are equally represented in access to health, education, economic opportunity, and it's unacceptable. Mm. The message is that we want world leaders across the spectrum, whether it's the G7 leaders that will meet later this year, or the replenishment of the Global Fund, or the African Union leaders, mm. or leaders at national and community level. We want them to follow their commitments with action, with funding, to make sure that their promises are translated into actions mm. that will make Make sure that women's needs and desires and their marginalization ends and ends sooner mm. so that we can actually achieve the sustainable development goal number five by 2030. All right, let me come to you, Meline. Thank you for giving us your time as well and coming to our studios. It's fantastic to have you ladies in our studios. Tell us a little bit about how you got connected with one and tell us a little bit also around your organizational movement, Women Lead Movement, which is aiming to really focus on uh, access to education. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Um, well, I got into contact with one. They actually approached me. They sure. asked me to express my views on gender equality. Mm. And they asked a question um, I felt was very intriguing. And the question was, if you have an opportunity to speak to world leaders and ask them what kind of changes uh, you would like to see on the front of you know, the motion of gender equality, mm. what would that be? And uh, obviously, they, they were very impressed by the work that the, the organization Women Lead Movement is currently doing, and mm. hence the reason why I was selected not only as a co-signer, which mm. is a huge privilege, mm. but also as a spokeswoman. So mm. thank you very much to the One Foundation for giving me that opportunity. I am the executive director. As I mentioned, I'm the executive director of Women Lead Movement. I'm mm. also an attorney by profession, specifically mm. in the areas of public and constitutional law. Mm. So I'm a human rights activist by nature, and what our organization does is we go into the local communities. Mm. We go at grassroots level where it matters. Mm. And at that level, we educate, we empower, we inspire women mm. and girls mm. to become agents of change within sure. their communities. Sure. The tools that we use, and it's something that people don't look at, is the Constitution. 
okay. and human rights education. Sure. We take it for granted. We think that people understand that they know what their rights are. Yeah. But I have had interactions with women and girls that doesn't even understand the concept of democracy, mm. not even the concept of human rights. They don't even know what that is. Yeah. So how would a woman like that know that she as a woman has inherent rights that are protected. So as, as, as foundational, what we do is we educate people on the Constitution, on their rights, and how to enforce those mm-hmm. rights. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't end there. So. What we also do is we, we educate them on gender-based violence, how it manifests. I mean, recently we did an outstanding workshop with girls between the, four, uh, between the ages of 14 and 18. And a lot of them didn't actually realize that they were involved or that they were in a situation where gender-based mm-hmm. violence took place because mm-hmm. it was so normal yeah and that is the problem yeah gender equality or gender inequality Mm. is so normal it's Mm. so intrinsic within the social fabric that we can't distinguish it yeah um and so obviously they now decided you know amongst themselves to to become agents of change within their community Mm. they've come up with their own initiatives Mm. to drive change and to educate other women about gender-based violence to educate other women about women's rights Mm. and i believe that grassroots activism and agency Mm. is going to be the key to promoting gender equality. Well, someone Africa. could say that, uh, is that really a project? You know, some people would take these things lightly, especially constitutional knowledge, because it seems like it's normalized that we don't even understand what the constitution is and democracy has become almost of a generic word and like you say we don't really understand what it actually means why did you think that was very important of an issue to focus on especially teaching that to to young women human rights is fundamental it's a right that is a fall to Absolutely everyone, irrespective of whether you're not you're a male or a female, um, you get the rights merely because you're human. I think that is very, very important. Mm. We have certain frameworks that govern us mm. internationally. We sure. have the, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, and mm. I'm going to get to the point. We have the International Covenants on Economic, Social, Cultural Rights. We mm. have Civil and Political Rights. We have the African Charter on sure. a regional level on Human and People's Rights. Sure. But yet people are not experiencing um, human rights at grassroots level. I am actually surprised that by the international human rights law framework that already exists, that governs governments across the world are not sanctioned mm. for not promoting gender equality. Mm. Um, the issue of gender equality is a pervasive and intrusive issue mm. um, in the sense that it cuts across issues of the right to privacy, mm. the right to dignity, mm. the right to education, the right to mm. health, the mm. right to freedom, mm. the right to association, the right mm. to expression. Sure. It's a pervasive, massive issue, and it's important that people contextualize the issue of gender equality first mm. before they start um, with actions to, to sort of eliminate um, mm. you know, this, this crisis. Sure. Now, let's bring in uh, Naomi Tule-Salonke, who is joining us uh, from Liberia. Naomi is uh, also, also part, part of uh, this uh, uh, initiative to actually voice these issues around uh, gender equality and also women's rights itself. Uh, she is the founding executive director of Community Health Initiatives, an NGO that provides reusable and affordable affordable health products for women and girls so they can uh, take control of their reproductive health. I don't know if you can hear us, Naomi. Are we clear on your side? Yeah, you are clear. Thank you. Good morning, Ben. Fantastic. Now, let's... 
particular issue that you, you're looking at, especially the one around uh, issues around sexual and reproductive health and rights, because that's something that is almost peripheral sometimes as uh, a priority in African countries. I mean, when you look at uh, World Health Organization statistics, it is actually very much uh, uh, worrying because it, it was estimated in 2015, 66% of all maternal deaths occurred in uh, sub-Saharan Africa and there are various numbers that are shocking when it comes to issues of maternal health but that's just uh, the tip of the iceberg because you're looking at other areas in terms of uh, uh, health products for women and girls because sometimes they don't even have access to those. Yeah, uh, when, when we talk about health products, when we talk about gender equality, it's not just women having just a seat to the table but it's in a holistic form, everything that affects the well-being of women. Um, when I decided to take on to co-sign this letter, it's not just co-signing as a woman, but co-signing it for a change for human being. It's the humanness of the women right that speaks to me like we have to do something. When it comes to um, natural health, you still have, this is 21st century, we have law and war leaders meeting once a year to discuss um improving the world, bridging the gaps, and we still have girls being marginalized, dying because of a simple biological factor, menstruation. Why should someone be banned because they are on a payroll? Why should someone be taken away from the community because they are seeing a payroll? And we forget to know that with all menstruation, there can be no reproduction. So the issue about that affect women, it's not just, the death is just the last part about it, but it affects her whole well-being. Well, a girl don't have access to sanitary pads, she cannot remain in school. Well, a girl don't have access to sanitary pads, she cannot con- contribute to the community. And if a woman don't have access to sanitary pads, she cannot even do anything because she cannot even leave the confines of her room. This is so bad, and we have a lot of taxes on sanitary products. Oh, it's a money-making thing because the demand is huge. But we still doesn't see it as a right thing. So, my thing is that Yes, we celebrate International Women's Day. It is good for us to celebrate International Women's Day. But why are we celebrating? Why are we celebrating when women are the ones that are living in extreme poverty? What are we celebrating? When we still have over 1,000 young women infected with HIV and AIDS every day. So what is there to celebrate? Let, let us observe this day till we can have general equality. That's my thing. We cannot celebrate International Women's Day. When we have thousands of women dying from preventable causes that, mm. could, that they could, their life could be saved for. When mm. you have the rights of women, she cannot have title to a land, a community land. It's not her right. When someone is molested, they are so afraid to come out to speak up because they're going to be named, shamed, and condemned. And the perpetrator, who are those serving justice? They are all men because the space is so narrow that women cannot penetrate. We have to demand our rights. We're not just taking our seat to the table uh, anymore, but we have to take our voices and be present and be managing that we so need. Well, same with you, Naomi, because what's interesting in that regard, especially on the African continent, I just want to stick to the issue of the politics of menstruation. Uh, There's a lot of taboos around that, especially around the fact that, uh, you know, in various religions or uh, sometimes uh, um, African cultures, we think that women who are going on menstruation are either dirty. Uh, We actually also in our schools, we haven't incorporated health uh, education around the issue of menstruation 
migration and also the fact that there's a deepening poverty on the African continent where young girls don't even have access uh, to sanitary pads, as you've highlighted. Why are we seeing that deficit continuing and why is it still entrenched in 2019 by these taboos? Um, it's just simple because the people that are making the law, the people that are making decisions about our anatomic as all men because they doesn't see it as a natural process. So if you go into the rural parts of sub-Saharan Africa, most of the decision makers, most of those who are at the decision tables are all men. They haven't understood the dynamics of menstruation. So a girl is going to grow up knowing that this is a taboo. This is not a natural process. We have to start the conversation now. Because half of the world menstruate and half of the world are women. And the issue of menstruation is not a taboo. So we need to break that barrier. That's what I do in my organization is that I go into rural community, have conversation with the women. And it's so hard that you don't want to do this, but you have to also have conversation with the men. Because the women are becoming more knowledgeable of the issue, and the men are there, and I say understanding. So for now, we have shifting our approach by also telling them, hey, when a woman is on her period, it's a natural process. Don't cast her out of the community. Don't take her out of the community. She needs to have access to the necessity of life to keep her safe. Because the women are getting more informed. The women are taking most of the rights into their hands. But again, you have the whole patriarchal thing as at the religious level, the traditional level, that suppressing them, even with them being so knowledgeable of their rights. So we are telling them, like, hey, the women already understand the issues that affect them. You have to respect it. Because it's, 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 it's a natural process. Imagine, I, um, uh, I was so happy when I saw the movie won the Oscar for menstruation. Mm. Hey, why are we winning Oscar for menstruation? This is a normal, a natural process. Why should another... Uh, sex be able to validate my biological makeup mm, mm. because I cannot get up in the morning when I'm still 25 and tell myself, say, I'm not going to see my period this month. No, mm. your period mm. is part of you. Mm. We need to continue the conversation in school. People don't even talk. There is no sexual reproductive health being taught in school. If you check most of the schools in Africa, nobody teaches sexual reproductive health and rights. If you talk about sexual reproductive health and rights, there's no way you can talk about sexual reproductive health if you don't talk about menstruation. Because mm. menstruation is the key. Doing your unsafe period is when you get pregnant. Mm. It's when you own it. So we need to talk about it more. Okay, I want to come back to our studio and come back to you, um, uh, Rudo, in terms of uh, listening to both uh, our uh, guest Naomi and listening to Melina. It seems like there's a chasm or a gap between um, other uh, policymakers, governments, and their implementation strategies when it comes uh, to uh, women's rights just as a whole. Because on the grassroots level, we're still seeing those gaps. I mean, I think she's tried, but I don't don't know how effective her efforts were. We saw while she was uh, the uh, chairperson of the African Union Commission, Zuma, trying to cheer this issue of women's rights and gender equity, adopting at the African Union gender policy and creating a fund for African women. But there still seems to, even after her reign, that those issues around women have actually come out or been peripheral 
in that African Union agenda? Where are we getting things wrong here in terms of parity issues in African societies? I mean, we've got a loud voice of women on social media. Their voices are more heard now than ever before. We're hearing more African women expressing uh, their rights. But in our societies, it seems like we're still struggling in terms of coming to the realization of making sure those uh, uh, women's rights are adhered to. I believe I think we need to move away from just focusing at the policy, Mm. uh, putting in place policies, to actually understand that implementation belongs to everybody at all levels. It has to come down to the household level. Does the father know that beyond providing school fees for all his children, for a girl child, he must also budget for menstrual care products for the girl child? So that if it starts at the household level where the young girl lives, where the woman lives, if the the father is respecting the mother in terms of her decision rights, in terms of making decisions about budgeting and allocation of resources, if it starts right down at the household level, then we can talk about policies moving from a continental level to a national level to a community level and to actually touching the lives of girls and women. So one of the key issues that this open letter that has been penned by activists in partnership with one campaign is saying we want to move from policy to implementation of policies, to making sure that funds are actually made available. I want to celebrate what is happening in Kenya now. The Kenyan government is providing menstrual hygiene kits in all public schools. And we need to see more of that happening. The Global Fund doesn't just fund health products, but is also funding access to reproductive health services for girls in uh, South Africa, in Swaziland, and in Kenya. So health care must reach the young girl and the woman because they are disproportionately affected by the lack of health services. They go to the maternity ward. They need an additional uh, allocation for them to actually enjoy good health and be able to participate fully economically. At the education system level, we need to make sure that girls who fall pregnant are not expelled from schools. We still have countries, uh, Liberia and Tanzania, that do not have re-entry policies. So it's policies, it's practice. We need to move from policy to practice at every layer so that the girl child and the woman feel like what is in the constitution, what is in African Union statutes, what is in universal human rights um, statutes is actually reaching them at the grassroots level. And yes, all of what uh, the activists are doing, starting with awareness, is important because If the girl child doesn't know about her rights, she will not assert them and they will not be given naturally or automatically. Well, you are listening to Channel Africa today. We're looking forward into uh, tomorrow, which is International Women's Day, as was highlighted there by our guest on the line, Naomi uh, Solanke, who was saying, what is there really to celebrate? Because there are many challenges on the African continent. But I think most importantly, this day is essential because it actually positions us to a space whereby we can start talking about these issues. But I don't think it should be only on that particular day where we discuss 
discuss these matters around gender equality and equity on the African continent, but something that we should really explore on our day-to-day basis. It's 11.32 Central African time. Let me take a quick break and I'll be back with our guests. There's a lot that needs to be fixed. I wanted to become and to learn for a chance. Africa is for the Africans. We must all be one and we must all be united. I can say life has changed, but not everything has changed. 25 years later, is democracy working for all South Africans? Has it lived up to the dreams of 1994? Your voice matters and all will be revealed on Monday the 4th of March. Connect with us on SABC Radio, TV and digital platforms. SABC News, independent and impartial. Well, you're listening to African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Moshatama. We're not alone today. We're partnering up with one, the International Campaigning and Advocacy Organization, which has aligned itself to up to 40 activists uh, from 11 African countries. They've written an open letter to world leaders to really address gender inequalities on the African uh, continent. And uh, just to remind you who we have in our studio, we've got One Africa's Executive Director, Rudo Kwaramba Kayombo, and also so we have Meline Rousseau, who is uh, an attorney who founded the Women Lead Movement. And uh, this was aimed to educate, empower, inspire women to lead social change in their communities. And as she highlighted, what she does is actually centralize the issue of uh, really people, under- young, young girls rather, understanding uh, issues around their own constitution and issues around human rights. We also have Naomi Salonke, who is joining us from Liberia. She's the founder and executive director of Community Health Initiatives, an NGO that provides reusable and affordable health products for women and girls so they can control uh, their reproductive health. Amazing woman in our studios. And just before uh, we went to the uh, break, I know that you wanted to speak around the issue of funding, Meline, especially the fact that uh, sometimes uh, uh, funding is hard to get for women, number one, and also social issues are the last to actually re so funding sometimes reaches social issues and in, in, in it's as a last priority that's what i want to say it's usually okay let's find something to actually deal with some of these social ills and governments or even uh, large companies could deal with it from just uh, uh, not even a, a concern but as a, a social responsibility element for their businesses or governments mm-hmm. Thank you very much for that question, Benjamin. Absolutely. I want to just touch on the issue of the commitment of, of world leaders, you know, in terms of that it can funding towards civil uh, society organizations like myself, organizations like the Total Shutdown Movement, who's been making waves in South Africa, organizations such as Not In My Name, who's pushing mm-hmm. social justice, uh, you know, issues across South Africa. I believe that, you know, government, obviously, they have to create the conducive environment through legislation and through policies for, for people like us to operate and to do our work but the real work will have to be done by civil society organizations and i feel at this point that we are not getting the support from the government in terms of funding and other capacity building support to enable us to do the real work the vast work that is required i don't believe that government has the capacity to do that i believe that we have the capacity to do that we focus on the informal education aspect Mm. Um, government focuses on the 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 formal education Mm. we we focus on the informal education and that is obviously to teach people about human rights about the health 
rights, about women's rights, about how to become agents of change, how to make a difference in their communities, mm. and that is grassroots activism work. Mm. So the government and civil society and corporate need to come together. They need to decide, decide how is it that they would want to work on, on certain issues and what they are willing to invest mm. in this because there's a lot of work that needs to be done um, and, and, and time is running out. Sure. And in terms of creating that alignment, how, how do you actually change that particular issue in terms of governments are not really aligning themselves to what's happening within uh, the frameworks of civil society and at, at, at on grassroots level? Brilliant question, Benjamin. That is exactly the problem. The mm. problem that you're mentioning there is the issue of lack of engagement. Mm. The government is not engaging us at grassroots level about issues. Mm. They're taking decisions. They are directing us in terms of you know, things that they think is best for us, mm. when in fact it is not. Um, I think government needs to move closer to the people, first of all. In fact, that is one of the stuff that Women Need Movement also stands for. Sure. We are pushing for the, for the policy on public participation and engagement mm. because we feel that that is fundamental for government to start understanding really understanding what is happening at grassroots level. Mm. So, so government and the people are really trying to come together and, and finding solutions together mm. and not a sort of dictation. Mm. We will tell you what to do. We will tell you what your issues are. People are capable of solving their own problems. Mm. They're also capable of telling you what their problems are. Mm. You know, we are not listening to each other. I think that is, a, mm. that is the problem. You know, Naomi, that is a concern because especially the fact that when you look at African governments, they also very have a masculine nature to them and also uh, there's also an, an, I don't want to sound ageist because that's not the intention but the men also are very old in these positions of power in the African continent and sometimes they do what actually what uh, Meline is highlighting they're very instructive and very um, it's easy for them to give solutions where they don't really have that understanding what's happening on, on, on the ground is, is that a problem in terms of centralizing women issues in our societies where our societies in whether it's in business whether it's in government it's very male dominated yeah yeah this issue is for me it's just the thing about presumptive of power and privilege that most men have been privileged because of their gender sex and they have been able to be in influential spaces to make decisions for a whole country, a whole community, a whole society. Now, over the years, these people have been leading, dominating, making decisions at their own discretion. And now, with the uprising in the millennium of the 21st century, and we are saying, hey, wait a minute, you cannot do this alone. And the reason we are facing all this problem because you thought you could do it alone. We are here. We are working. We are contributing to this process. Acknowledge our rules, empower us, give us equal pay, give us spaces that will be able to discuss our issues, issues that are affecting us. And because they have, it's the thing of where are these people from? And my thing is, if we want to achieve gender equality, if we want to have women, more women at the table, if we want to eliminate poverty, we have to pay key attention to the messages. There are a lot of movement going around. We have uh, uh, poverty is sexy. It's one movement. We have the Me Too movement. We have the Time is Up movement. People need to pay attention. These movements are not just forming because they want to form hashtag. These movements are responding to issues that affect the humanness of a human being. 
and these movement, movement are responding to a group that has been marginalized, and this group is women. We have to pay key attention, and the message is not going to stop only on the social media because the sad thing is that most of the people, especially in the rural part of South Sahara uh, Africa, that are perpetrators don't have access to the internet or they don't pay attention to these things. So we need a grassroots. This is when we invest into local actors. Localization is key. The people who are affected by the things most should be the one to drive the change. And they are right there, situated. Right All they need is to be empowered, informed, and drive the change. So the change that we all hope for can happen at all levels, not just one level. Mm. Women in all parts of the world need to be protected. They have the rights. Their rights need to be protected. They need to be at the table. They need to have spaces, safe spaces that they can discuss issues affecting mm. them. Okay, I want to. I've got five minutes left, and I want to look at a positive here because I think the energy here is fantastic. Because you're hearing the voice of women speaking on their own behalf and on their own um, sisterhood's behalf, you know, uh, Arudo. And I think that kind of advocacy being formalized by African women themselves, where historically we used to have external voices, the the the, the UNs of this world coming into the continent and actually being our own. Uh, our own advocates when they were silencing African women in the same uh, note. How important is the fact that now we're seeing a generation of African women standing up for these particular issues? Because I think that is a positive. Oh yes. Um, as African women, as African leaders, we have to note that there has been progress. We have governments in Africa who are known to have the leading number of parliamentarians. That's Rwanda. We have countries that are setting quota systems that we do need to have more women in decision-making. We need to have more women um, in, um, as board members, as executives. We have programs that are promoting women who are in leadership so that space is made for them. But more needs to happen. It needs to start right at the grassroots level, but at the lower level. Because if you don't have more girls transitioning from early childhood to primary school, from primary school to high school, from high school to tertiary institutions, where are you going to get the leaders in parliament? (coughs) You have to target every level and make sure that we don't have girls dropping out simply because school fees has not been paid, that they don't have the amenities that they need to continue with education, that they are not being married off, that they are not being subjected to violence so that they cannot participate in the economy, that they are not being paid equally, that they are being subject to greater higher levels of infection rate as adolescent girls we've had a number here that every day 1000 young women are infected by HIV and AIDS. What are we doing to make sure that girls are protected from infection? Some of it is through sexual abuse. They are not consenting to this sexual abuse. I was shocked recently to hear that stock theft in Zimbabwe attracts a greater penalty than sexual abuse than rape. So we prioritize capitalism, a capitalist crime, stock theft, rather than a crime against a girl child or a woman. We need to punish and make sure that the R. Kelly's of this world are not roaming around and preying on young girls. We need to make sure that girls are safe in education and are able to transition to participate in the economy and in all 
political decision making and we need to make sure that when they're in those spaces they're not forced to become males mm. so rudo tomorrow is a big day and i think some of the things are important that we've highlighted and there's these are very serious issues that we'll be highlighting there and i can see it makes you angry this particular issue and uh, i i can see also the passion in all of the three of you speaking to us today but what happens from tomorrow um what are we hoping for, to achieve tomorrow especially through this particular letter because i'm sure there's not going to be a full stop and after the eighth and it's not going to be a full stop the message in the letter which says it shouldn't take us 108 years to make sure that women at every level in every sphere enjoy equality alongside their male counterparts that message should reach world leaders so that wherever they gather they make decisions that make sure that women are not left out if we're talking about not leaving anyone behind it must be across the spheres and we must translate our commitments to uh, funding to policy to practice to actual decisions at every level we must deploy the muscle of leaders to get that women are able to be at the tables and are supported to make sure that they achieve their full potential. We'll be sending this open letter to all world leaders Mm. wherever they meet so that they cannot ignore or put aside Mm. the issues affecting women in the world over. And how can the African listeners uh, interact with this letter or interact with this campaign by one? They can join, they can become members of one campaign and be able to sign on to the letter and they will be able to add their voices and also take actions at their personal level. Get to know what they can do as males, as young boys, as leaders in community, as fathers, anyone who can affect the situation of a woman must change the way they act so that the situation of women tomorrow is better than today.